Well, hey, good evening, everybody. Uh, great to be together. Merry Christmas to you and to your family. Wasn't that just incredibly cute? All right, I got to follow that. So uh, Merry Christmas to you, to your family. Uh, always an honor uh, each year uh, that you, you let us be a part of your Christmas traditions and kind of kick off uh, the celebrations. I uh, want to let you in on a little secret as we get started, all right? So uh, for pastors, uh, this is a pretty big night out of the year. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but it's a pretty big night for pastors. Like, I'm always very aware of sort of the magnitude of the season, you know? It's Christmas, and everybody's got somewhere to be, uh, like, like soon, you know? And, and tomorrow, there's a lot going on. And always very aware of the magnitude of the season, and uh, always very aware of, of those of you who are here. Uh, you came with friends, you came with family, and you don't normally uh, come here. And so if that's you, just want to welcome you. Uh, hope you feel uh, like family tonight. Thanks for being here. Um, also very aware of the children in the room. Like, I know uh, all the kids in here just are, are secretly praying and hoping that this, that this would be the shortest sermon of my entire life. So I get that. I understand that. So there's a lot of different dynamics, you know, uh, that pastors, uh, you know, kind of work through uh, for a service like this on a night like this. But I tell you all that because I want you to know that I take tonight, you know, very seriously uh, every year. In fact, in the weeks leading up to tonight, I've really just been asking God, you know, the question, what do people need right now? Like, what do people need what do they need in their life? Like, what, 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 what would be like a value add for them this holiday season and what everybody's going through? And I guess as I sort of look around, you know, at the condition of humanity, not just here in Iowa, but literally around the world, it seems to me like um, there is a huge need right now for something that just lifts you up. There, there's a huge need for something that would encourage your soul. And so I want you to engage with this thought with me uh, here, here tonight. See, I think that there is a, a huge need for more joy. There's a huge need right now for more joy. It seems like, you know, life just continues to get heavier for people. You know, that the, the weight and the pressures just, just continue to, to get bigger, perhaps greater now than, than ever before. And this isn't just my opinion, by the way. Like, research is showing us that people are laughing far less right now, that they're carrying way more uh, anxiety and depression than ever before, that prescriptions for SSRIs are through the roof. And it seems like, to me, that there is, there is such a, a gravity to life right now, that there, there's a gravity to life right now, that there's a weight, that there's a weightiness to you know, the relationships that, that we find ourselves tied into, the relationships that, uh, that create all of these different dynamics for us, that there's a weightiness that people feel in terms of maybe their health or their finances or, you know, the pressures that they feel at work or whatever it is. And it feels like there are so many people trying their best during this season to put on red, to smile, and to appear like everything is fine, hoping that this one day out of the year, where they get some presents, they eat too much food, they uh, watch TV and sleep is enough to kind of fend off the angst that they feel. And I guess what I'm wondering tonight, came here wondering, is if, you know, what if instead of putting so much pressure on one day to kind of lift us up out of everything that we're facing, we searched for something better? What if we looked for something way more dependable? In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah he prophesies about Jesus' birth 750 years before Jesus would ever be born. He, uh, he tells us about the coming Messiah. He prophesies about Jesus and tells us not just that he's to be born, but what he's going to be like. Like when he comes here, what he is going to do. And, 
In Isaiah chapter 61, he says that basically when Jesus comes, he's going to come to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. This is what Jesus does. This is who he is. And so I just tell you that a huge goal of mine tonight is that you would leave here feeling lifted, that 2023 for you would be a year of great joy. Amen. Can we all use that? A year of great joy. Interesting to me how Christmas kind of has this unique ability to create joy. It just does, right? One of the classic ways that Christmas creates joy is through the music that is uh, sung and played uh, this time of year. It just puts people in a better mood, you know? Uh, especially, the, you know, I think the heavier, uh, the heavier life has become, it feels like the earlier the Christmas music has begun to play. You notice that? Like, wow, this is early. Why are we listening to this now? But at our house, Siri has been... Um, playing Christmas music for at least a couple months, and it helps, guys. It helps. Like, like when, we're, when we're just, uh, when it's crazy in the Lombard house, you know, some Christmas music in the background just kind of settles us down, gives you something to look forward to, right? Puts you in a little bit of a better mood. So I brought a HomePod with me here tonight, and uh, I don't know if you knew this, but there's like a person uh, that lives inside of this HomePod, and she does whatever I tell her to do. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Um, I thought maybe we'd give it a try. What do you think? You think we should give it a try? Maybe, maybe we'll give it a try. Okay, I, we might have to mic this up. So um, let me see here. Uh, hey, Siri. Hmm? Uh, are, you, are you ready for Christmas this year? She's going to do me like that. Hey, Siri. Hmm? Are you ready for Christmas? Hmm, I don't have an answer for that. Of course. Is there something else I can help with? Yeah, uh, you, you can help me out with a lot more than that. Uh, hey Siri, um, is Santa coming this year? You gotta, you gotta stop doing this. Sometimes you gotta just like teach her some lessons, you know? Uh, <laughs> so I don't mean that in any kind of weird like way. Uh, Sorry, okay. I'm having problems with the connection. Check that your iPhone is on the same Wi-Fi network as this HomePod. Really? I had this whole thing planned, guys. All right. Hey, Siri. Is Santa going to come this year? All right. Let's try this one more time. Hey, Siri. You're embarrassing me. <laughs> hey, Siri. You almost tried it. Hey, Siri. You're here. Hey, could you uh, play me a great Christmas song? It's the most wonderful time wow. of the year. It is, especially when she listens, right? Especially when she listens. All right, hey, Siri, stop. Stop. Okay, that's enough. So it's interesting, right? Like, it's pretty cool. Like, you play a song, she tells you, you tell her a song, whatever. You know, we have this subscription to Apple Music, so every song we can think of, right, she'll just play it. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and so we put it on kind of like the Christmas playlist or the Christmas station, and she goes through all these different songs. And then um, sometimes she throws in a song that, like, you just weren't expecting. You know, it's, it's usually all the classics, which we all kind of love and enjoy. And then she throws one in, you're like, I had no idea that was a Christmas song. Let me, let me show you one that she uh, threw in for me this week. Uh, hey, Siri. 
Would you play uh, Christmas in the Dock House? All right, we're going to try this again. Hey, Siri. Play Christmas in the Dog House. Christmas in the Dog House by various artists. All right, you got to listen, right? All right. All right, totally, totally non-traditional, but I think you might like it, right? You can start to move if you want. It's like a two-minute intro, so maybe it's only a minute. The one and only. Yeah. And, uh... What I'm gonna do for y'all right now, I'm gonna give y'all a very special Christmas. Yeah, brought along a couple of my friends. He's getting, he's getting close to starting. To make it funky for you. Yeah. Oh, this beat right here? I did it about five minutes ago. I had to do it. He's close. <laughs> yeah. It's Christmas time in the city, y'all. Yeah, it's Christmas time in the city, y'all. Brought to you by Big Snoop Dogg. It's Christmas time. All right, it's catchy. In the city. <laughs> well, the folks get, get. All right, hey Siri, you gotta stop. Okay, I can guarantee you that there's no other church around that's playing Snoop Dogg at their Christmas Eve service, right? Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Okay, guaranteed. It's funny, you know, because it's like. It doesn't have to be spiritual Christmas songs. They just like what, like songs like this. They come on, you're like, that's hilarious. Kind of changes your mood, puts you in a, a happy place. But then there's the songs that like actually lift your spirit. You know, it's different. Those Christmas songs that actually lift your spirit, like Nat King Cole's "Joy to the World." Hey Siri, play uh, Nat King Cole's "Joy to the World." "Joy to the World" by Nat King Cole now playing. Yeah, listen to this one. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. All right, hey Siri, stop. Stop. Okay. Hey, hey Siri, you gotta stop. Stop. Yeah, I'm gonna unplug you. Yeah, okay. All right, that's what we're gonna do. She thinks I'm kidding. All right, she thinks I'm kidding. All right, so we have this love-hate relationship. Uh, it's a lot of hate, so. All right, the point of all that, okay? The point of all that. I'm gonna try to make a point out of that. I just kind of wanted to, to bring this up here today. So, uh, the idea here is I think that if you let it, you know, Christmas music has a way of sort of creating joy, uh, and, and we kind of know that. It, it's sort of just a part of the season. The problem with that is that just here in a few days, you know, the music's going to stop. You know, like, like people don't play Christmas music in March, in April, or into the summer, right? It's seasonal, and, uh, and, and it's going to stop. I think, I think the message of Joy to the World by Nat King Cole, I think, I think this song or whatever, I, I, I think it's speaking about a joy that's, that's, that transcends just the season of Christmas. In fact, I want you to engage with a really important thought with me tonight. See, I think that, that there is a joy to be found that transcends all of life's circumstances. I think that's what joy to the world's about. 
I think that's what the joy that we talk about this Christmas season is all about, that there is a joy to be found, to be discovered, to be engaged with, that transcends all of life's circumstances. Matthew 2, chapter 10, or, or chapter 2, verse 10, um, says this. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Matthew 2 here, this is talking about the reaction of the wise men uh, after they have arrived at the place where Jesus was, after they have uh, finally come to the place where their search has ended. It says that they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. This isn't just joy. This isn't even just great joy. This is joy that exceeds great joy. And I don't know like where you're at tonight as you, you come here, and, and I know you got all kinds of things. I don't know what this year has been like for you or what, what, what may feel heavy you know, for you this time of year, but I, I can just about guarantee, whether you want to admit it or not, that each and every one of us deep inside wants to experience this kind of joy. The joy that the wise men are talking about, every single one of us wants to experience exceedingly great joy. And this story of the wise men in Matthew 2 is a phenomenal story. It's unbelievable what goes on here. And I want, I want you to engage with this story, maybe in a way that's different than, you know, uh, what, what you have in the past. I know it's familiar to all of us. We come around the Christmas story. It's so familiar. But I want you to engage with this tonight just a little bit differently. And I want us to learn from the wise men three ways that we can find the type of joy that they found. See, to find this joy, I think, number one, we must seek an answer for our angst. We have to seek an answer for our angst. Instead of just numbing it, we have to seek an answer for it. See, we're all trying to figure out how to get through moments like these that we're living in. We have to seek an answer for our angst, not just, not just try to distract ourselves. Not, 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 not just try to distract ourselves with, with busyness or with devices or whatever it is. We have to seek an answer for our angst. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. This is beginning of the story of the wise men, we see that they, they set out on this journey, right? They, they travel a great distance to get to Jerusalem. And when they arrive, the question on their mind, the question that they start asking is, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now this story, it can feel a little sterile when you read it. It can feel a little like, a little, little difficult for us to kind of put ourselves in the story to understand what's really going on. It can feel very ancient, but there's, there's so much to this. I think that if we unpack it, like you'll find, you'll find yourself um, here in the story. You'll find yourself seeking uh, answers for your angst, just like the wise men, men were. But to do this, we've got to understand really what's happening that time in history, the, the, the many layers of culture that are taking place. At the time of Jesus' birth, you know, the Romans were concerned because they had a, they had a leader that they loved, Caesar Augustus, who had ushered in the Pax Romana, the golden age or the age of peace. Augustus was the first emperor to be worshipped as a living God, and the people loved him, right? At the time, he was coming to the end of his reign, and people in the Roman Empire were uncertain about the future and who would take over his leadership. And so uh, what, you know, they weren't sure what this would mean for their personal peace and their personal prosperity. So this is what's going on kind of in the larger Roman Empire, uh, there's transition about to happen. 
And then there were the Jewish people who were sick of the Romans, right? They, one thing that they wanted was a leader who would rise up and would push the Romans out so that they could have a sense of agency and self-determination and that they could live freely in their own land. The problem for the Jews was that they had one of Rome's you know, fake kings, Herod the Great, who had been handpicked by Caesar Augustus and installed as the leader of Israel. So at the time of Jesus' birth, the Jews really had a double problem. They didn't just want to get rid of the Romans, but their own system had been corrupted by a Jewish king who gave his allegiance first and foremost to Rome. And so they longed for the political landscape to change. So there's another layer of what's going on at Jesus' birth. And then you had the Persians, who were another political threat at the time. Rome had a weak and ailing leader at that particular moment, and so the Persians realized that because Caesar Augustus was old and feeble, that Rome's military, especially since the retirement of General Tiberius, uh, it had been weakened, like maybe it hadn't been weakened in a very long time, and so the Persians thought that perhaps this was a moment for them to rush in. So think about all these different layers and dynamics, all these cultural, you know, these huge tectonic plates of, of, of power and, 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 and culture going on kind of uh, um, around Jesus' birth. And so at the time of, of all of this, you know, there were all of these huge sort of cultural dynamics all pushing and creating a sense of uncertainty and frustration. There was so much anger and anxiety. People didn't know what to do with it, right? And so what a lot of people did with the tension is they just sort of got on with their lives. They just sort of got on with their lives. They managed their angst, and they sort of numbed their hearts out to all that was happening around them at the time. And what I love about the Christmas story, specifically the wise men, is that in the midst of this cultural setting and backdrop that I just shared with you, the wise men have a different response to that of just about everybody else, right? They don't, they don't just get on with their lives and just try to numb their angst and their frustration. Look at this thought. I want you to engage with this thought. The wise men, listen, they had heard rumors of hope, and they went searching for it. That's what happened. Like, they, they, didn't, they didn't respond like everybody else. They had heard rumors that there was hope, and they went to go find it. They went to go search for it. They weren't content to just live with the tension and the frustration. Rather, they used the tension and their frustration as fuel for exploration, for meaning and for depth, for hope. They had this willingness to seek answers for the angst that they felt deep inside. They used their angst and their frustration to seek out this rumor of hope. And when they find Jesus, do you know what happens? They find what it is that they have been looking for. So we have to seek an answer for our angst. Number two, to find this joy, we have to understand that humility and honesty are the things that lead to discovery. Humility and honesty are the things that lead to discovery. You see, the wise men had to seek out this hope from a place of humility and discovery, a place of humility and honesty. The story tells us that the wise men from the east, they came to Jerusalem. And what's fascinating to me uh, is that the wise men are pretty mysterious people to us. Like, like they show up and they give their gifts and then they seemingly exit stage left. They, they walk off the nativity scene, never to really be heard from again. And so there's a lot that we don't really know about them but we do know some things, right? Like we can look at, at other places in scripture to kind of help develop more of an understanding of like who the wise men were, but the specific wise men at, 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 you know, that come to, to, to meet Jesus, uh, we don't ever really hear from them again. The wise men were pretty significant spiritual leaders of their day, of their time. 
The term magi is where we get the terms magic and magician from. It's named after the wise men, after the three magi. Um, the wise men were a group, uh, a group I'm sorry, of elite leaders. They'd come up within the Persian Empire, and somewhere along the way, they'd merge with the Babylonian Empire. They were known as a group of very intelligent advisors for the kings of their day. And so here's an example. When King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, again, Old Testament, when he was attacking and conquering Judah, we know that chief magi were with him, advising him of their perspective about how to destroy the people of God. So think about Daniel again, Old Testament prophet Daniel. When he's taken into exile in Babylon, most of his relationships end up being with the magi. Most of the people he interacts with are the magi or the wise men. You remember that God granted Daniel the capacity to interpret dreams. Well, for the magi, this was the number one skill that they valued, dream interpretation. The ability to understand the divine. And so when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and the magi, they can't understand it, David comes in, or Daniel comes in and he says, the one true God has granted me this ability. And what does he do? He, he interprets the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a phenomenal moment of God kind of strategically putting him in the story and giving him the ability to, uh, to, to do this. And so what happens is Daniel's made ruler over the province of Babylon. He's made chief prefect over all of the wise men in Babylon. This is Daniel. He's made chief prefect. So this is an amazing moment. This is hundreds of years before Jesus would be born. And so what happens, as you know, over the course of history, like Daniel dies, right? He doesn't live forever. He dies. And what happens, like, you know, empires eventually move on. Like, they come and go. But something's interesting about the wise men. The wise men have something interesting happen to them. You know, they, they, they appear in multiple empires, like they appear as like a valued group of people, trusted advisors, you know, these, these kind of sorcerers, magicians, people who can kind of, kind of get in touch with the divine. They, 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 they remain a group of people who show up in multiple empires. And what happens is that even though Daniel has died, like they carry within their tradition words of prophecy and insight granted to them by Daniel for their future. So it continues. And so even though it wasn't available to them in the moment, those seeds that were sown many years earlier by Daniel, it haunted them over the course of the next several generations. And it caused them to continue to seek and to pay attention to the times that they were living in and to pay attention to what was happening even outside of their own tradition. And so think about this with me. The wise men are the wisest men of their time, of their day, and they depart for Jerusalem essentially saying this. This is what they're essentially saying, right? They're the wisest people of their day, they're in touch with what's going on. They, they understand the times. They essentially set out for Jerusalem saying this, I have come to the end of what my own tradition can give me. Therefore, in humility, I will seek for things that I have only heard about. That's what the wise men do. Look at this thought with me. It takes humility to be willing to consider that your own tradition or skill set may not contain everything you need. It takes humility and honesty to look at who you are, look at your skill set, look at all your intellect, look at everything you're gifted in, and, and to admit there, there, may be, there may be something you're missing. You may not have all of it. If, if there were people to be proud, it was the wise men. And yet they set out with humility to look for something beyond their own tradition. This is what the wise men are willing to do. In spite of all of their knowledge, all of their access to the divine, the supernatural, in spite of the fact that they are advising kings and governors, they know that deep inside there is a need that they have that their own tradition and skill set do not offer. 
And they remember, all of a sudden they remember, right, these ancient prophecies passed down from the time of Daniel and they go after it. They're humble and they're honest in their search. You see, look at this thought. Christianity is not about people who are right. Uh, getting people who are wrong to be right. right. It's about people who are humble and have found life inviting people who are proud to lay down their pride and, hum- and in humility find the same life. See, a lot of people think that like, man, it's just, it's just, well, you just think you're right. It's all about like telling other people that they're wrong. That's not what Christianity's about. Christianity's about like people who have understood how wrong they were and in humility have sought out the answers and the meaning of life and have found that in Jesus and, and are, just, are just trying to tell other people, hey, like if, if you'll humble yourself too, like you'll find that joy that is, that is exceeding great joy. You'll find that joy uh, that, is, uh, that transcends all of life's circumstances. This is such really good news. This is, this is really, 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 really good news, everybody, because it means that you don't have to get everything right or get yourself fixed to come to Jesus. It means that you just need to have some humility to acknowledge that you need some help. And like the wise men, I think we got to make sure, all of us have to make sure that our pride doesn't stop us that our pride doesn't stop us or cause us to easily dismiss where our longings are trying to take us. And so I wonder, are you, are you open, like in humility, to keep on seeking, to keep on seeking, and let the longings of your heart take you to where the wise men ended up? Third thing, to find this joy, I think we have to discern what's worth giving ourselves to. We have to discern what's worth giving ourselves to. This is one of the things that we're all trying to figure out in a time like this. When it comes to my gifts, when it comes to my passions, when it comes to my energies, what do I give it to that's actually going to satisfy me? Like what, what, like, like, like what, what do I give it to? What do I give myself to, my energy and my passions and all of these things? Matthew 2, 11, it says, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him uh, gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It says they, they worshipped him, right? These wise men, these uh, wise men come in and immediately upon finding him, they, they fall on their faces and they, they worship him. That word worship, it's a very, 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 very strong Greek word. It means to fall down, to prostrate yourself, to kiss the feet. It was a word that was almost exclusively used for worshiping a deity. That is what is happening here in this home as they find this this child. It's fascinating to me because you have these wise men here who see Jesus and immediately they fall down on their face and begin to worship. Now, worship is something that, it's it's a complex word. It has a long history. But to make it as simple as I can, here's the question that we all ask every day. And it's a question that the wise men are essentially answering here in Matthew 2. It's this right here. What is worthy of me giving the energy, the attention, the capital, and the passion of my life to? What is, what is worthy of that? We're all asking that question. And it's the question that the wise men were asking themselves. It's, a, it's, it's what set them on this journey in the first place. And I think that we have to acknowledge that there has to be something incredibly extraordinary about Jesus here in this story, that the wisest and the most powerful and the most wealthy people of their day did not say that we are the ones who are worth it or we are the ones who are worthy, worthy of this worship. Instead, they, they, they see Jesus and they fall on their face and, and they present their gifts before him because for the wise men, there was something they understood deep inside about who Jesus really was, who Jesus really was. He hadn't done anything yet. 
They, they, they saw a baby. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, they saw a baby. They saw a child. Like, they, he, hadn't, he hadn't, like, grown and, 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 and lived a great life. He hadn't, he hadn't died for the sins of the world yet, but there was something in them that understood. Their spirit identified with his. There's something in their spirit that happened where they understood there's something about this baby, and they fall down on their face, and they worship him. Jesus is always asking us this question. What good is it if you give all that you have, and in doing so, you gain the whole world but it costs you your very soul? This is the question Jesus is always asking you and me. There's nothing, in my opinion, more disillusioning than giving, than giving your worship or your sense of worth to something that cannot bear the weight of what you're putting into it and having it disappoint you. I think these wise men here in Matthew 2 are speaking to us tonight, and I think they're saying to us that if, if you can see through the eyes of faith who Jesus really is, you'll realize that he is worth responding to. He's worth responding to. You see, for the wise men, this wasn't just some obligation of duty, but it was the fulfillment of their longings. It was the fulfillment of everything that they were searching for, and they find it that night in Jesus. And so let me just remind you, again, Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. This is hype language right here, right? When they found him, like I said, they didn't just have great joy, they had, they had joy that was greater than great joy. They had exceedingly great joy. They knew that the king that they wanted was here, that the ruler that they longed for was here, and therefore the kingdom the world ached for would ultimately come into the world. You see the wise men, you see the wise men in this story taking all of their longings and all of their disillusionment and pointing it towards Jesus, hoping for an answer. Do you see that in this story? And so look at this thought. What do, you, what do you get when you get Jesus? You get exceedingly great joy. You get exceedingly great joy. You see, Christianity is not just historically verifiable or intellectually and philosophically credible. It's existentially satisfying. It's existentially satisfying. Like, most people follow Jesus not for the arguments. Like, I don't anybody follow Jesus for the arguments. They follow him for the joy that they get in being with him. That's why they follow Jesus. And that is the invitation that we have tonight to be with Jesus and to rejoice with exceedingly great joy to come to the end of your search and find what it is that you've been looking for. See, I think that Christmas demands a response. Like before we get on with, with what's to come and all of the fun and all the food and all the celebrations and all the stuff with family, Christmas demands a response. And what is your response? You know, the first response should be to seek with humility, right? Like we talked about earlier. But for so many people, it's the exact opposite. It's, it's, it's more the response of, of Herod. So many people respond like, like Herod, like, get this baby out of here. You know, this is a threat to my own kingdom. This is a threat to my own sovereignty. The idea of there being another king out there, he's going to make demands of me and strip me of my power. That's Herod's response. And so a lot of people try to get God out of the world. Like, you, you probably feel that. You probably see that lots of places because he is a threat to our own sovereignty. And so Christmas demands a response. And are you going to respond with humility or will you respond with pride? Like only letting Jesus kind of be like window dressing in your life or to kind of be off in the peripheral or will you let him come close and will you let him actually be found by you 
and to satisfy the great search and the great longing of your heart. Other people's response, quite honestly, is just apathy. When they respond to Christmas with apathy, it's like, it's like yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's true. Maybe everything Pastor Jordan's talking about is true. I don't know. Here's what C.S. Lewis has to say about your yeah, maybe. He says, Christianity of false is of no importance. And if it's true, it's of infinite importance, but the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. So this is a story that we celebrate tonight, a true story, and it demands a verdict. It demands a response. And I think the only appropriate response from us is one of worship, of like giving ourselves to it. Our passions, our energies, our gifts, who we are to the person of Jesus. There's nobody like him. There's nobody like Jesus, who he grew up to be, what he taught, how he lived, what he offered, what he gave us. There's nobody like Jesus. And the only appropriate response is one of worship. One of worship. I'm about, I'm about to close, but I want you to look at this quick thought as I get ready to, to, to stop talking. You're here today whether you believe in him or not. And the fact that you got up and checked your watch and looked at the date shows that you are still ordering your time by his birth and his death. He is still the central figure of history, but he wants to be the central figure of your life. That's who he is. That's who Jesus is. He is the central figure of history. But he wants to be the central figure of your life. And this is the invitation tonight, to seek and to find to seek out an answer for your angst in humility and honesty and to consider that there might be some things outside of your own traditions and thought processes and thinkings and assumptions about life and about God that you may need to engage with to really find the answer. And then we need to discern what it is we gotta give ourselves to. We gotta give ourselves over to the person of Jesus. I wanna challenge you this Christmas to take your angst and to use it as fuel to examine your longings and to seek for that which truly matters. And don't be surprised if it leads you like the wise men to Jesus. To Jesus. Would you stand? Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? We're going to sing the song Joy to the World one more time. And we're going to close with some communion and some candles and we're about out of here. But I want you just to take a moment here with the Lord. I want you just to just settle your spirit, calm your spirit. Holy Spirit, come in this room, settle in this place. Speak to our hearts. Don't let, don't let this moment pass you by. And if you're here tonight and you're on a search, you're here tonight and you've been seeking answers for the angst that you feel, may you find that in Jesus right now. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just reveal to us the things you need to reveal to us? Would you let things kind of rise to the surface? that you can speak to those things and we can deal with them now. Father, I pray in this room that the people in this room, God, as they leave here tonight, they would leave with exceedingly great joy because that joy has been discovered. It's been found in you. It's been found in Jesus. And so would you fill every heart tonight, every person here tonight with great joy. And as we sing this song here, Joy to the World, my prayer is, is that you'd sing it differently than maybe you've sung it in the past or maybe, maybe times you've sung it. It feels so traditional. It's so Christmas tradition, right? But tonight, may you find yourself singing from like a deeper place 
from a place of like deep discovery that your longings have been satisfied in Jesus. And because of that, there is a joy that has been found that, that transcends all of life's circumstances. So no matter what you've faced and brought in here tonight, may you sing this song from a new place, from a new gear deep inside of you because you have found what it is that life is all about. Jesus, we look to you tonight. We give you honor and praise. May you receive our worship here tonight. In Jesus' name.